Today's episode is brought to you by the support of Ferno Grills. What's up, everybody? I am podcast host and restaurateur Brad Barmore. I have had the opportunity to cook on a lot of things, guys. Kettle grills, offset smokers, pellet grills, open pits, reverse flows, gravity smokers, cabinets, ugly drums. My Ferno is hands down the best grill I have ever cooked on. You know, with gas grills, most folks get caught up in the BTUs, but it's really how well you can control and hold the heat that matters. And Ferno Grills happen to be a revolution in gas grilling and the ultimate cooking machine for the backyard cook, as they are designed and engineered with firewheel technology for the ultimate in precision heat control. Ferno is the only gas grill with height adjustable burners, custom cast iron grates, and a fully insulated hood so you can sear without burning or cook slow and low to perfection. I've done steaks, burgers, chops, veggies, oysters, salmon, briskets, chicken, pork butts, tri-tips... Yeah, I cooked them all on the Ferno, and it has impressed me every time. Plus, it looks modern and really sleek in the backyard. It is unlike any grill I've seen out there. Project Smoke, Steve Reichlin, Forbes Magazine, AspiringGentleman.com are all raving about what the Ferno grills are doing to change the grilling game. Check them out on Instagram, at Ferno Grills, or for even more information, including recipes and financing options, head to www.fernogrills.com. I am sitting with Dean, who is a beer blogger, and we've been trying to do this interview for six-ish months. Well, at least, more than that. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while. So I, I had uh, I had cyber stalked you uh, via Twitter, and just had, you know we kind of followed the same paths and we followed the same uh, companies, and uh, you know I commented on some stuff back and forth, and I think I private I DM'd you. Yeah. Today we should get together and do something, and then we took a hiatus. And then we took another hiatus, and then it's uh, been back and forth. And anyways, uh, all roads lead to a good interview, and this is it. So we're finally here, right before, and we're excited because it's beer week. It is beer week. Yes, and I'm going to the gala tonight, and I'm just super pumped about it. Yeah, lots of good, lots of good stuff. They finally have uh, uh, younger in bottles. Yes, which I found very interesting, and I'm really curious. I've I've been meeting. I don't know if. Maybe I'm going to the celebration of craft as well next weekend. Okay. And although I don't think I know they're pouring there, and Younger was there last year, but I don't think they're actually going to be there. But I've been curious to ask those guys because I know when Younger first became a thing, they were still you know, before they got the system that they have down now. Yeah. You know they would run out like that, and they were allowing people to fill growlers and stuff like that, and they were having problems with people taking the growlers and putting them up on eBay and stuff like that. Selling yeah. So I was really surprised when I when I saw that they were going to be bottling it this year. And I'm wondering, like, are they, you know, it's, you know, they're, they're still controlling the output. It's like two bottles a purse. So they only have so much that they're putting out per day. But still, it's like, what's to stop people from taking their bottles and putting those up on? I don't, you know, it's... I, I think that they've, I think they finally have just come to terms with the fact that they can't stop that. Yeah. And what better way to do it? At least they can put it, you know, a growler is not going to, does not transfer well. It doesn't ship well. Um, and I think they just kind of said, you know what, if they're going to do this, like, let's, let's get more of it out there and let's, you know, we're going to bottle it and that's what people are asking for. The quality control will be a little bit better that way. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And they, you know, I, I don't, I think they're, you know, usually, you know, and this is Vinny and Natalie from Russian River. 
they are usually you know five to seven steps ahead of everyone else tr- beer true. trends and everything I'm else like, I'm sure they've more than thought about this and have it all figured out but it was, it was to me it was just surprising when I saw that I'm like oh alright I'm surprised they're still bucking the cans but yeah they're, still, they're getting into it they're getting yeah. into it I mean uh, Mind Circus is out and they're canning something else now I just saw I thought they had the uh, STS pills was going into cans that, that might be it that might be it but yeah, so there were there were at least some else. You think I'd know more since their breweries are in my backyard, but I don't. <laughs> yeah, lucky dog. I'm over here in a beer wasteland almost. Uh, I don't know about that. There's uh, you know there's definitely it's it's uh, the East Bay as a whole um, is is definitely not well. It's not there's not the same respect as San Francisco does. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I feel like it's, you know, there's a lot of good breweries, a lot of good beer being made. It's just not being talked about. You know, you know, Drake's 21st Amendment is one thing, even though 21A started in San Francisco. Yeah. But there's a, there's a lot of good brands out here. I mean, like the, the East Brother. East Brother, yes. I see, you know, every place I pop into, I see them. So they've got great great distribution. I don't know how their beer is overall. but Their beer is outstanding. I mean, it's very good. I, what I like about East Brother is that... They're, they're bucking the trends as far as hazies and brutes and things like that. They're not doing that. They're doing, they have their course and they're sticking to it. And their branding is the same way. Um, you know, they're, they're not doing, uh, most of the people that release cans can't even tell what the beer is. It's just, design's gone amok and yeah. unless you know what it is, you know. So, but these guys are sticking to their guns and they make really excellent core beers and their, their bow pills. I believe got a silver at uh, GABF in Denver last year. Wow! So they're, I mean, they're they know what they're doing. They're doing good stuff. Nice. So you brought to a great point is the the can right? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of great labeling going on now. Great for funny, hilarious, eye catching. Branding is such a big part of the beer industry, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's it's. Really, how all these core brands? I mean, all we we talked about it before. I turned this recorder on. You know, Lagunitas has had flagship the IPA name. Oh yeah. They weren't the first one to do it, but they're the first one to make it a, a popular category. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and I feel there, there's there's so many. Do you, my question to you is, how do you feel about all these different cans? I feel like now breweries do it with the intention of getting a cease and desist because they get a lot, a lot they, of them. A lot of them do. A lot of them, and I don't know if this was this and it ties back to one of my locals too, uh, Armistice Brewing. We'll fix it in post. It's all right. Um, Armistice over in Richmond as well. Uh, they put out a beer, a pastry stout, not too long ago. And they were going to call it Mary Berry Stout. Mary Berry, and I don't follow this program, so I'm not familiar, but there's a like the great, the great British baking show, something like that. Okay. And Mary Berry is one of the bakers on this show. So they put out this this stout. Well, they were going to put out the stout. They, <laughs> they they Instagrammed it and everything, and they had actually like her likeness on the label. Yeah. Mary Berry stout. Mary Berry's people got wind of it and said, "No, you're not." C and D right away. Cease and desist. Oh yeah. So what they did was, and they, of course they got the Chronicle carried it, and they got so they got, which is you know I'm sure that's probably part of the strategy for it. Oh, absolutely. And they wound up re-releasing it because they already had everything labeled. It was ready to go. They had to they had to pull it back. They didn't they hadn't released it yet. And so what they did is they took the labels and they put a little happy face sticker upside down, placed it on her face, and then over the name of the beer, they changed it. They just put a sticker on it and it was cease and desist berry stout. 
and released it that way. So oh man, that's a lot of good press about it, and that's I'm sure that's part of the strategy. Yeah, absolutely. There's um, up in Windsor. There's a uh, one of our friends of the show is uh, Barrel Brothers, and they did a uh, sour skettle. And it was, you know, they literally, it just didn't say taste the rainbow on it. It mm. looked so much like a Skittles packet. Right. Um, and it was unbelievable beer. It was, you know, it was a kettle sour. It was it was great. Uh, but, they, yeah, they, it took about two weeks. And then Skittles dropped the hammer on them. And then they just renamed it and put it out. And it's a successful beer. So, it's, I mean, it's one of those things, I guess it's part of the, it's the, you're taking advantage of the gray area. That most breweries, you know, you have to you have to have a competitive edge, and if you don't have something eye catching and popping on the shelf, um, but it, I also too like you mentioned, you know, about East Brother, is the core the core beers. You know, that's such a um, you know you don't I don't want to say antiquated, but it's such a older style of, of building a brand, a beer brand. Um, and it's you know you start off and you have you start off with your four core items, and then you start slowly introducing your you know your specialty or your seasonals or your one-offs, uh, and I feel like it's the exact opposite right now. If you're a brewery, you have to do 20 different beers, and you might not get the same be able to have the same beer any given time. I mean, well, how do you feel that is that doing? Do you think that's helping brands by having everyone just doing hazies and brutes and all those things, and then there's no separation? I mean, how do you feel like a new company can build a brand? Well, it's, I think it kind of depends on what your focus is going to be. I mean, going back to the East Brother example, they, they're they really trying to be a regional beer more than just a local one. So they're, you know, they're, their focus is on getting stuff on the supermarket shelves, distributing. And so they want to have that, and they're doing very well with their branding, and they want to have that logo. They want to have that identity out there on the shelves. Yeah. Other places aren't so much on the distribution model as they just want to be a local brewery. So, and case in point to there, going back to another one of my locals, Armistice, um, there they go completely the other way. They do, they don't have cores. They just, they do, they, their, their tap list is consistently changing all the time. They, they'll go back and redo a beer once in a while, but otherwise it's just, you know, what do we want to do this time? What do we want to do this time? Yeah. So there, it's it's two different end games, I think. And I, so I think that the, just the local neighborhood, kind of maybe a little bit beyond the neighborhood model is... Is you know not so much getting stuff out on the grocery store shelves is you know making your place a destination, making really good beer, having people come to get it from you, and others want to have their place out in retail and and grow their business that way. So and I think the cores and the branding in that uh, instance makes a lot more sense. You know I feel like the the once you get to the grocery store level, the distribution model changes. You know you have to. In California, you have to go with a three-tier system, which makes it incredibly difficult. Um, you're basically passing along uh, profit margin in order to get a cast a wider a net, which is is fine if it's part of the growth. But now that growth has changed so much, it makes a lot of these guys so weary of, of jumping into that system. A, uh, you know, am I going to get this? If I'm in a distributor network that has 20 other brands and, and those top five brands are the the NorCal leaders or the leaders of that region, how am I going to get any attention? And B, the cost of you know consistently putting out cans and bottles. That's a that comes with a you know if you don't own a bottling line or canning line, to can and bottle becomes very expensive very quickly. Um, let's let me ask you this question: in the category right now, the beer category or the not so beer category, how long do you think seltzers have a shelf life for? You know, I was thinking about that earlier today. Um, I would say probably at least a few more years, I would think. Um, 
it's really, I mean, it's it's easy to denigrate it and dismiss it as, oh, you know, it's all it is, it's wine coolers from 20, 30 years ago. It's, it's Zima from 10, 15 years ago. You know, and it is a similar kind of a line of product, uh, but it's really, I mean, it's exploded, I think, a lot more than people really expected it to. So I, I'm sure it'll, it'll have its time and then probably wane, but I think it's probably going to have a, more legs than a lot of people think they will. Um, I mean, and there's a little bit of a controversy regarding the gala this evening. I mean, not very much of one, but a few places are going to offer, are going to have seltzers on tap yeah. that, that they're making. And so there are some people that aren't thrilled about that. Um, for me, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with it. I think it's, it's, you know, it's especially, I mean, it's easy for me to say what's good and what's not as far as the trend goes. I don't have any skin in the game as far as my own. Yeah. You know, my own, my house, my loans, my whatever else I poured into this business to keep it going. I mean, those guys, they need to make decisions. And if this is a way, if people are buying it, if it's a way to get more people in, if it gets them the extra cash that they need to keep going, then, you know, who am I to say, yeah, shame on you for doing, for jumping on this bandwagon. You know, I'm, I'm not enough, that much of a purist to, you know, shame anybody for, you have to keep your business going. And Absolutely. That's a good well, way to do it, then that's what you have to do. A great line I heard is is uh, when this is about two years ago when hazies were starting to be common, um, and uh, a brewery friend said, you know, it's financially irresponsible if we don't do this. Yeah. You know, we have we have an obligation to our shareholders, to the, you know, the, our investors. We have to do something, and if that means that we have to put out a beer that we don't necessarily love, but people are asking for, if there's a demand, we should do that. And now here we are, you know, a year and a half, two years later, and it's the same thing with seltzers. If people are asking for it, why not? I mean, really, at the end of the day, you're using less raw ingredients than you were before, and you're able to save for the sell it for the same premium price. I say, keep doing it. I don't think that it's going to. Uh, I don't think it's going to die. Uh, I don't. I'm sorry. Let me back up. I don't think it's going to last another three years. I think it's gonna. I think this summer is gonna be. It's gonna become a price war now that Bud, Budweiser uh, released theirs. Um, first thing I said to my beer friends, I said, "What's they're gonna they're gonna kill the price in the in the trend?" Oh no no, it's coming out the same price. I walked the shelves of Target before I came to meet you, and lo and behold, they're a dollar fifty cheaper per per pack. So that's what that's a, a strong move from Big Beer is to kill a category by price. Um, it's it's a, it's a known tactic, and it's no surprise, and that's why people are so mad at, at when brands do go big beer. Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, you know, it's it's a line you have to cross, I guess, whether you want to try to fight fire with fire or try to put all your eggs somewhere else. But um, I was just thinking, um, going back to, to Seltzer and going back to places serving it, um, my own, for my own example, uh my wife, who does a beautiful job humoring me in this regard, she is not a <laughs> she is not a beer person. She's never been into beer. She's never liked beer. Um, so she's humored me enough times going to a tap room here and there, or a brewery somewhere, and she just sits there and patiently waits for me to have what I want to have. And then you know that's. But there's not much for her, especially if it's a tap room that only serves beer and nothing else. Right. So having something like a seltzer or an alternative ciders are really good in this regard too, because she loves ciders. Um, are gonna. You know, if that helps you bring more people into your tap room that would nor- normally be there because they don't like beer, then you know that's that's an opportunity for you to get a few more butts on the seats. Absolutely, asses in the seats, and and then also more. You know, it's going to be that it's 
everyone loves to sell one beer, but what's even better is selling two or three. Mm-hmm. So if you're able to keep, because no one, want, no one's gonna want to stick around if their wife is pulling on their sleeve to get them out of there. They, you know, they, hey, let's, you know, she wants to go have a cocktail somewhere else or go do something. You know, I, I fight the same fight. My wife is, uh, she likes. There's a local cider. I'm sorry, a local uh, seltzer company out of Sebastopol. Then she was, she was a white cloth fanatic for a while. Uh, and I, you know, hey, who am I gonna lie? When I'm, when I was out camping. Uh, this is last summer we were out in Lodi and it was 97 degrees and we're poolside. Uh, an IPA is horrible. It's yeah. one of the worst things you could drink other than a warm MGD. Um, but uh, I tell you, I'm a couple white claws on that day. I mean, they're refreshing. I see why people like them. I just, I just don't want to incorporate it into my daily life. You know, yeah, I plan on probably, you know, depending on where I am at the thing tonight. Um, you know, if I walk past one of those places that's offering one, you know, my palate might be a little bit fatigued because I just had. You know, five straight double IPAs or whatever, and I just, you know, you know, I'll take a pull of it and have a little bit of a palate refresher for it. You know, it's, it's a great point because you know, really, palate fatigue is a real thing. Oh, yeah. um, especially when you're, I mean, when I go out um, for beers, I jump. I rarely order the same thing twice. I try to jump around. If there's a decent tap list, I like to just try everything. Um, but palate fatigue is a real thing, and so it is. It is in that regard. It's a really nice refresher. Now, the other side of that coin. As my stance from the start has been, it's it's um, it's kind of irresponsible for breweries to participate in seltzers, and the reason why, my, this, and, and tell me, you can tell me if you agree or disagree. Um, you're conditioning a customer to trade up or down into a style of flavor versus a brand, right? So in this case, I'll use Bud Light. So Bud Light Seltzer, they obviously know they're going to cannibalize some of their customers because they have a seltzer now. They're going to get rid of some of the true blue Bud Light guys or girls, and now they're going to go to the seltzer. The other half is the people who were trying maybe White Claw, and they're hoping to steal them away. But when my my point is, once the seltzer is either unavailable or outprices them, it's easier for them to transition to a vodka soda than it would be to transfer change back into beer. So you're, now you're changing them out of your category. That's true. Which That's the point. It's to me, it's one of those things where you know the beer world. Coming from my distributor background, you know we the beer and wine guys fight in October, November, December for floor space. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you constantly are in a battle with spirits, and this is this was you know if you rewind the tape uh, a few you know was that fourteen years ago where it's the launch of Smirnoff Ice, and there was the Sky Vodka malt beverage, and there was the Captain Morgan one, which was a horrible debacle. <laughs> um, they had a, they had a, you know an iteration of, of different ones. That's the idea is that they're trying to get people to transition down to beer from cocktails, and that's a really hard thing to do. And so now I feel like you're just conditioning the palate for going to transitioning to a vodka soda because you can impart those flavors very easily. Yeah, that's that's a good point. That's I guess my only argument to that is um, that if you're hoping that it, you can have the opportunity that if you have the people come in who are new to your place – because you're you're offering a seltzer, um, you know it depends on the type of establishment. If you if you also happen to have ciders, you could transition to that. Or you know if they come enough times and they're at least in in the atmosphere, they're they're in the space, and you know if if you don't get the chance to outright you know educate them or explain what is you do to them, it, hopefully by osmosis they'll be able to you know, kind of soak some of it in and maybe you know if. If for whatever reason the seltzer isn't available anymore, you know, you might, well, this, you know, this, if, if you like this kind of, you know, if you like the seltzer, if you like this kind of, 
maybe this style and granted there probably won't be a whole lot that's going to be there for them but there might they might offer one or two things that they might be able to transition to um you know because my my wife's biggest problem with beer is hops uh she just she doesn't like the flavor of hops she doesn't like the bitterness um so i try to whenever i can um you know the uh some of the sours, she doesn't mind too much that I've had her try, but more of the... I mean, I'm, I've, I've found it difficult for me to get into sours, too. Right? It's, it's been a tough road for me. Most of them, at least that I've tried at the beginning, have been way too puckery. And it just yeah. put me off. Uh, but I'm, I'm getting more into them as, as I try them. It's just more of the milder ones. Especially now that you know there's so many more fruit flavors that are you know into sours and this actually transitions to kind of seltzers as well because there i mean there's like the milkshake ipas the you know the the fruited the fruited sours that are more emphasis on the fruit than they are on the sour yeah so i mean there's that's the one good thing about experimentation in the industry is that you know the the range of flavors are available to people now are just it's just light years beyond what was available even like 10 years ago so I feel the same way, especially with when you make the correlation of, of you know, cooking and, um, you know, chefs bringing out new flavors and new combinations when you feel like everything's been done. How do you make a new dish? And then just simply by either a new technique or a new flavor uh, combination, you are able to elevate a dish or elevate a, a, a meal. And I feel the same way with beer and, and the sour program. You know, when sours were, you know, dark Belgian sours are very, very uh, complex beer to drink and it's it takes it was such an overwhelming thing I can see people got turned off very quickly but now you start you, you start, then people kind of went to the gozas of the world which were way more approachable and then you know you do these like kettle sours which are like you said it's more fruit forward it's e- easily approachable and it's got a little puckering factor but not quite to the same depth that like Belgian dark sours did right uh, and so that's it's it is a it is a good it's like a, a sour with training wheels is what I usually tell people. Yeah, which is per, just fine for me. That's pretty much my speed. <laughs> I remember the first goes I ever had was Anderson Valley several years ago, and it tasted to me like I was drinking a salt lick. It was yeah. so it was so overwhelming found, to me. I found that one to have really the viscosity was really challenging too. It was, but it was the very first one they did, and. And I'm sure it probably, and I know they still offer because they're doing pretty good business in Gozas these days. Um, and I, if I tried it again now, I probably wouldn't be as put off by it because I'm a little bit more familiar with the style. Yeah. Because I don't think I'd ever had one before that. So, um, so it, you know, it's just like anything else. You just you try stuff, you hone your palate, and see what you like. Yeah, exactly. You, you'll know pretty quickly after the second or third one if you like it or not. Um, take me back to when you first made the decision, the conscious decision to say, you know, I really want to do this beer blog. And, and, you know, at the time that's, you know, we talked circa 2013, you know, they're really the beer blog scene, um, you know, really wasn't big. No. It was there. There were people. It was. It was a cult following, much like any other fan base. Yeah. You have a following of people. But what made you decide to jump in and actually jump and start doing it? Well, for one thing. Um a blog is pretty easy to do because it's you're not. Um, you're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to say how hard it is, and not have no one else do one. <laughs> well, I'll I'll say this: it's pretty easy to set up because um, you, you're not you're not going through any other gateways. Um, I've I've always I've always enjoyed writing, and I always thought I wanted to be a writer, but 
the, I'm also uh, very conservative when it comes to putting myself out there. Um, so I, I crave the, I mean, that's why, one of the reasons I have my full-time job, because I like the paycheck, I like the benefits, I like the, you know, having that, you know, steady money coming in all the time. I'm yeah. not an entrepreneur, I, I, and so having to go out there and try to fend for myself and try to get freelance gigs and stuff like that is just not my thing. I just can't do it. So that, a blog was a way for me to self-publish, basically. So, you know, I could, you know, put some thoughts out there and shoot it out. And granted, there's a jillion different blogs out there and trying to get your voice heard above everybody else is pretty much impossible, especially for me, since I am a horrible self-promoter. So that's why I was, when you first came, oh, we'd like to have you. I'm like, really? Are you sure you you have the right guy? What is it? This yeah, you must have. Are you mistaking me for someone else? But uh, so that that was really why you know it's just like oh, I like to do this and this you know it's I can do it in my spare time and you know no I'm not getting any you know I'm not making anything from it but it doesn't you know you know it's it's still a way to and it, and it, it's also my my ultimate end game with this I'm gonna let the cat out of the bag is to get a job in the industry somewhere um, hopefully in PR some kind of marketing capacity like that. Nice. That's what I'd really love to do. Um, so, and it's it's been a way for me. It's, it, it's been a great door, open open door for me. You know, I've met people like Natalie Salurzo, and, and I've made friends with you know the people who run the the uh, Brewers Guild, the Bay Area Brewers Guild. That's yeah. how I've gotten to help them out with Beer Week, and and so I've you know I've been able to meet a lot of people and talk to a lot of great people uh, doing this. So it's been very fulfilling that way. I just you know at, at some point I'm just feel like I'm a little stuck because you know I only have so much time to devote to it and you know I, I know I need to be better with social media and, and kind of promoting myself and you know, I, I I have no idea what the metrics of my site are as far as how many people actually see it I don't you know I, I don't put enough energy into the SEO part of it so you know there's I know there's things I could do to help get myself out there a bit more but at the very least it's a nice outlet just to be able to kind of be able to buzz around the outside of the industry and, and be able to well, enjoy you know if it's you know if it's a true hobby and it's a, it's a passion of what you want I mean that you know our my joke with with my co-host Brad is is that you know we don't golf and it's cheaper than a bowling league for us to do this podcast oh, yeah yeah <laughs> I mean I mean, my my wife and I both love wine. We are, we you know we belong to a couple of wine clubs, and we like our cocktails as well. But uh, those things, those hobbies, can get kind of pricey, um, <laughs> yes. especially wine. That can get get expensive real quick. Uh, so you know, this is a way to be able to enjoy what I like. And you know, some beer can get expensive too, but you know, on the average, it's a lot easier to get into. Yeah, no, it is. You know, and it's it's also um, it's. You know, especially now the availability uh, of it is just so, you know, between, you know, bottle shops and especially I, I really admire uh, gro- the grocery channel has really stepped up their game and given a lot more space to beer um, and probably more so more than it probably deserves. You know, more more doors, more, uh, you know, cooler sets and more space. That's a huge thing. I mean, that's, you know, when you're talking about, you know, soda paying for uh, slotting costs and and paying for shelving fees, um, it's really amazing to see, uh, because you can't do that for beer, and to see more and more space appear uh, for that. So I'm I'm pretty happy with the beer universe. Our luckies here in town, they have a pretty decent selection, um, which is, you know, was kind of surprising to me how much progress that has been made 
in that avenue in the last decade or so. Yeah. Nice. Well, uh, so what is, you know, you brought up social media, and obviously we could all do a better job at that. I mean, the social media side of this is, you know, it's, you know, it's obviously it's based on clicks and engagement and how do you, how do you create separation? You know, anytime I'm on Instagram, and I guess this is more of a gripe session than anything else, um, but it's like, I feel like there are so many more female beer bloggers that are absolutely using their body and their sexualization of the of themselves yeah. to get more likes and more followers. If you go on average, like I've you know the top three, and I keep in mind I follow these women because they're attractive to look at. I want to hear what they say about beer, but it's one of those things where you know they have they'll have two hundred thousand followers, you know, and here I am scraping the barrel to get to a thousand. Yeah. You know, it's tough. It's it's a little demoralizing sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've reached out to like have them try to, you know, Hey, can you, what would it, what would it cost for, to promote my site or promote my, my Instagram handle? And none of them get back to me maybe because I'm a creep and I sent it with my shirt off. Uh, but whatever, big deal. <laughs> no, but it's one of those things where I feel like people have definitely found a good marketing niche and guys like you and I, it's really hard for us to put ourselves out there a on a consistent basis because we do have day jobs and B because we're, you know, middle-aged guys and no one wants to see middle-aged guy on Instagram. <laughs> well, yeah, that's why I, I definitely have not done any kind of video posts or anything like that because I'm like, I, I don't want to turn people away from what I'm saying. I want them to actually listen. So they can, they can read my words and that's fine. That's, that's good. They, nice. They don't need to see the rest of it. So. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the rest is... Uh... It's is, is bad. It's not good marketing. Not good marketing. Yeah, I don't. I need people to follow me, not unfollow. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's why there's no pictures of me on our our Twitter page. I have, I have one one photo of me on my about page, and that's it. Nice. And, and I even on my Twitter, I recently did put up only because I, I know some people are weirded out if they if they don't actually see a face on a Twitter account because they think it might. Well, you be could a, be a Russian bot. Yeah, I mean, it could that be makes a sense. bot or something like that. So I did put a photo of myself on my Twitter, but otherwise, yeah, nobody needs to see that. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> oh, man. So, San Francisco Beer Week, obviously, we mentioned is now. There's a lot of stuff going on tonight. How many years have you been going to this event? Well, probably the la- the, the the week itself or the gala? Uh, both, either or. Well, the gala, this is my second year going to the gala. And I, I very much need to thank. It's I've, I've helped the, the guild with some volunteer work. And so, they've been nice enough to, to cover my entry into it so Great. that's yeah so i'm thrilled about that and that's one of the those are the open doors i was talking about with doing this blog um but events itself i don't know pretty much since it started i think this is what the 10th and 11th year something like that um so i just you know i'll i'll pop over and get try to catch an event every weekend um unfortunately there hasn't really been too much up here to go to so I'll usually just I'll hop on Bart and head down to Oakland and you know do you know do a tasting or whatever so yeah I'd, probably about a decade I'd say nice so you have the set I, I am so jealous of the Bart ability because you know where we're at up and where I'm at is I have smart train but it only runs so far and it's they run ill times and it's not a good system yeah. yet it's on its way but yeah. it's it's gonna take a while before it's com- as used as common as 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 most common as as Bart is uh, but it's it's definitely nice to be able to have that option. Oh, absolutely! I mean, that's what I'm taking into the city today. So it's yeah, it's it's and and uh, another shout out too. This is somebody who I, I don't want to turn this into a big long commercial, but no, 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 um, you got to do your plugs, man. <laughs> uh, 
one of the writers uh, for of Beer by Bar, which is a great, great site for. Um, it, it lays out all the breweries that are anywhere close to any BART station, so you can hop on BART, go anywhere you want, and you know exactly which stations you need to go to and how far away they are. Awesome site, and she's also, Gail Ann Williams is her name, and she's also the media coordinator for the Brewers Guild for Beer Week. Oh, nice. So, yeah, so I've she's been able to, to help me out a lot, too, with... with uh, that's a great idea. I mean, that's yep. just the... The name is the name is catchy. It's an awesome idea. Oh yeah. Now the San Francisco Brewers Guild um, last uh, no not last year year before last um, they had officially uh, when I was employed by Lagunitas they officially had told us that we couldn't participate in any of their events. Yep. Because we were not independent craft beer. Yep. Uh, and so we had a beer that we were releasing for SF Beer Week, and uh, my boss at the time. Who shall remain nameless because he still works there. Mm-hmm. Um, we came up with, or he came up with, SF Beer Week, and it was W E A K, and we used the logo, and I, I photoshopped it, and it looked phenomenal. And I was like, "You have to do this. This would be a great way to poke him in the eye and tell him." Because I, I, my opinion of that, I mean, granted, because I work there, but also I feel like, yeah, they're owned by Heineken, all those things, but they still like the local impact. The beer is still, if the beer was coming over from Holland. Totally, I, I understand the argument, and I'm with you. The beer's still made in Petaluma or Chicago. Uh, it still employs a lot of local people oh, yeah. who are spending local dollars in local communities. I feel like the I, I feel like the Brewers Guild take themselves a little too seriously. They, re, I feel like the independence, and I think there's a big separation between ABI trying to buy a brand and say hey, uh, we just bought this brand and now we're going to put it everywhere versus someone like Lagunitas. You could take Drake's, even though they're still independently owned. Uh, But someone like that who has built their empire and built their brand and done all the work and then they buy them just for the profits. I feel like, I mean, I just feel like they're still considered, to me, they're still considered craft beer. What's your opinion? You know, I did a post about this back when I was actually writing them. And it's my, I viewed my relationship status with Lagunitas as it's complicated. Um... (laughs) I, I still, I'll still grab, I mean, I still love their stuff, and um, I'll still, I mean, when the Waldos came out this past year, grab some of that, so I'll still get the special release stuff every now and then. Um, yeah, you know, I think Colin McConnell of Hen House does mention that, you know, ownership matters, and so, I mean, a- ABI is, you know, considered the evil warlord for good reason in the industry. Um, they, you know, they really are. And, yeah. You know, Miller Coors has, or, or Molson Coors now, has less of a, of a warlord aspect, and Heineken has even less than that. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's, it's you know, it, it is it is complicated. And, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it could be they just do a better better job of PR and spin smoke control. And, yeah, smoke yeah, you know? and <laughs> So, yeah, so, I mean, who knows, really. But, you know, I, they do seem to still have, even though Lagunitas has, you know, global aspirations and global ownership um, they still at least around here have, have kept a local imprint pretty well they still have kept that ethos I think so and the, and the bottom line is the product's still good I mean another example is Anchor you know Anchor is owned by Kieran now yeah so or Sapporo 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 so um, you know but I love Anchor I always love Anchor and they've They've done what, and this—I don't know how much of this has to do with the, with the foreign ownership, or if they just realize what the market's doing. But 
you know, they're doing different kinds of IPAs now and all sorts of different product offerings than they used to. They used to just stick to their core stuff. And I love Anchor. I'll always love Anchor. Um, so, you know, that's it was kind of sad when they had to sell out, but, you know, they did what they did, and they're still, it doesn't seem like they're screwing with stuff too much. You know, it's still, yeah. you know, the beers are still good. Um, Steam is one of my favorites. I Porter is one of my absolute favorite beers of all time. So, and, you know, if they're not messing with that stuff, then I, I don't have much of a problem. Yeah, the, you know, the, the, I think, I feel like the, the more transactions like that that happen, the less ripple effect they have. You know, Anchor, you know, everyone was up in arms about the Lagunitas ones and about, like, Golden Road. Um, all those ones were, like, people were met with, it was such ferocity. It was met with, with people just were, I'm giving, you know, they're basically, like, when their favorite player gets traded from a team and they burn their jersey. That's what it felt like. I feel like when Anchor was kind of that went under the radar, part in part because it's a wet, primarily a West Coast beer. It doesn't do a lot of sales in, you know, uh, Topeka, Kansas, or in uh, you know, St. Pete's Beach, Florida. Like you name it, like it's it doesn't do as well. But they do it there. It is a local. Everyone loves it in the Bay Area, myself included. And I have a lot of fond memories of selling that brand for a lot of years. And so, uh, yeah, I, I see your point. Like they still are doing great beers. Now they tried. I think they tried with doing um you know when they had liberty which is a great beer by oh, itself and then they kind of started pitching it as well this was really an, originally an ipa if you look at how we brewed yeah. it and they kind of did that and they kind of you know they did a little more sports sponsorships i think that was that was punching out of their weight class a little bit but now i feel like they've settled down they're putting out some good beers and they're still remembering their what got them there the heritage beers and they're also i mean to their credit and this might be because of the ownership as well they're they're trying to get into the neighborhood kind of model as well because they have their tap room now. Yeah, they have their public taps, which which I was fortunate enough to go to, and and uh, they do a great job. And you know they have the little they have the little brewery system there, and so they're able to do some different stuff. So they've kind of taken that aspect of it too. I was what did I have there? I was able to. It was really fascinating. I think it was two Liberty Ales next to each other, and one was filtered, one was not. So I was able to testing yeah, yeah. next to each other stuff like that is really good i mean it's 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 about education and if you know if you have an avenue to do that then go for it i think that's that's a great point if you could do side by side uh taste test especially like filtration just ex, you know explain that step and why it's so important for the finality of the beer but what it offers when you don't filter your yeah. beers um it's a huge thing so yeah, you could i mean you could explain what filtration does and all that all you want but you know until your palate can yeah, taste it. Yeah, yeah. until it, when, if you have the opportunity to taste them side by side, that's where it really connects. And so I, I love having opportunities like that. Nice. All right. So what else you see in the in the beer in the beer trends? I mean, what's what's going to be the next big shock that's going to come down the pipe? Is it going to be another acquisition? Is it going to be someone's closing? Because unfortunately, with the success of so many smaller brands comes the the, the ill fate of others. Yeah, I think probably we're going to see a lot more of the kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, where not not so much acquisitions, but mergers. Yeah, and people kind of align themselves. They, they're still they're still kind of separate, but they're under one umbrella. So they're kind of so I guess that's kind of a merger, but you know, like uh, a partnership. You mean you can partnership it, that kind you know, of stuff? Joint venture. I think you're like probably going to see more of that. Um, just. Because, you know, it seems to be, you know, you get up to a certain point of scale and then you can't really grow any further because then you have to invest a whole ton to get up to that next level and you don't have those resources. 
And so the way you do that is if, you know, other kind of like-minded people, like-sized people, people who are kind of in the same boat, you pull all your resources together and you can pull all yourselves up that way. Right. And so that's, I think, where things seem to be headed. I mean, you know, but Samuel Adams, Dogfish Head, um, and like, uh, what, 21st Amendment is aligned with... Oh, what Funk Works and Brooklyn, and of course all those. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm shocked that that's not happening more more so often. And if anything, for just if you think about it, you know, you have okay, you ship off some of your brewers to go over there to go to the East Coast. The East Coast comes here. If it's an it's an easy way to get distribution on the opposite coast. If anything, like that's at the end of the day, like you become you know whether it's shared employees or or rented employees. And you're able to get your beer made the way you would want to make it back home, and you're able to do it on another coast. I just don't see why that hasn't taken off more. I, I, th- I think we're probably are going to see more of that when when you know breweries get up to a certain point and they want to they want to go further. I think you'll you'll see other people kind of seeking each other out, going, okay, it looks like we're kind of in the same boat here. Why don't we? You know, pool our resources together. Still, I mean, not really remain separate entities so much, but have separate, you know, marketing plans, you know, right. branding, all that stuff. But you know, if if we can help each other out, get to that next level, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. You know, it's like the the, the trick of when you're uh, you, know, you see it in movies all the time where people are tied up and they use the pressure on each other's backs to help stand themselves up. I mean, right. that's really what it is. Exactly. But the you know the Sam Adams dogfish one makes zero sense to me. <laughs> You know, um, I've been I've been to both breweries, and I had very fortunate. I stood about as close as I am to you right now, which is about three feet um, <laughs> from uh, from Sam from Dogfish. And I just feel like I don't know if that's Jim Cook really like flexing his financial muscle. I mean, he's already got and you know the, the the revenue stream coming from Angry Orchard, which in my opinion is dying off the vine. Uh, now they've got Truly, which is doing its thing. Um, you know, they've got the um, Alchemist, or not Alchemist, um, there's an Alchemy, oh, what's there? damn it, brain fart, I'll think of it. Uh, but they have another craft, an L.A.-based craft brewery, essentially. Yes? I'll do a Lagunese IPA, please. Want to down a minute? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, so my point is, do you, does that merger, do you make sense? Does the Sam Adams dogfish head merger really make sense? Do they, are they both benefiting, or is it just one-sided? I, was, I don't know. I wasn't really quite sure what to make of that. Um, it was it was kind of surprising, because they seem like such a, such a singular entity, and, you know, they really did a great job of, you know, they're a very unique brand. Um, my personal feeling is that, I mean, I don't know the guy, I've never met the guy, but maybe... Sam Caligione just was like, you know, I'm tired. <laughs> this is getting to be too much. You know, we're again, they're, they're, they were kind of at a place to where, you know, they've gotten to a certain level, and then what it's going to take to get any further was just going to take this huge, you know, undertaking to be able to do that. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, if I, I don't know who approached who, I, I don't know much of the backstory about it at all, but, you know, if they, if they approached him and said, you know, we'll just, we, we'd like to we'd like to fold you in. We'll make sure we'll keep everything the way it is. You know, you know, we're just gonna we're gonna help you out with with financing. We're gonna help you out with distribution. We're gonna you know you can brew some of your stuff here. But you know, and you, you might have just said, okay, <laughs> sounds good. Yeah, you know, to me, there's I think there's more to the story. I know that Dogfish was um, 
was zeroing out or crediting back distributors for lading costs to help bring their case price down, uh, especially out here to the West Coast. I think that was the biggest thing is that they had a great product. Uh, they still do, but they had a great product at a great time that was people were willing to pay that premium price. Um, and then since the Ballast Point merger with Constellation that's now unmerged, the price, the price, they hit you. Obviously, Ballast Point proved there was a ceiling to what people would pay. And I think that that Dogfish was right in that wheelhouse of being on the upper end. And they realized, man, they cannot sustain growth if they stay in this route. I think part of it is that, and then also part is they had this gigantic new facility and they didn't have their production being met. And I think Sam Adams, who's at an all-time, even though it's a East Coast-based beer, it does next and you know, not nothing, but it does very little out here compared to their East Coast numbers. They were looking for capacity. And I think it's a mutual understanding of, hey, we're going to brew some Boston Lager and other brands, you know, and I'm a big fan of their cherry wheat. Sam Adams cherry wheat is one of the ones that I, you know, as a young man, I, I fell in love with. Um... But I think they were, it was a mutual, mutually beneficial situation, and I think overall to be able to cut lading costs down and get the price, the true price of the product down, it's going to put Ballast. Uh, I'm sorry, it's going to put uh, Dogfish in a better spot to be positioned on the shelf at a better price. Probably, and the fact that um, I mean, I guess what would be considered a core for Dogfish would be the 60 minute, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm sure Sam Adams is going to be a big help to them in that regard to be able to get that out to more places than dogfish probably could on their own. Yeah. And, you know, to boost that core business a little bit to be able to give them a little bit more flexibility to be able to do some of those other weird stuff that he loves to do. He definitely has some weird ideas. But like you said, it's back to the core. Core brands, core yeah. everything. There was a brief time, I can't remember what channel it was, but he did. He had a show on. It was a Discovery. Yeah. Brewdog. For, like was, once, yeah. for one season, I think he did it, and they followed him around and stuff. And Man, that dude, I mean, he's very charismatic. He could do that for a living if he wanted to. He um, definitely has. He is a really good media presence. You know, he's, you know, what do you see? He's a, you know, 6'3", uh, you know, attractive man he could do and he's well spoken and knows what he's talking about has a passion for beer um you know his public speaking is really really nice and really fun to watch like a quasi beer travel thing because they you know followed him going to all these different exotic locales to get the sources ingredients for these yeah really bizarre beers he well yeah his thing you know i I went through the whole thing with him but the palo santo wood um you know the midas touch which i try so when we rolled out that beer at our distributor um, it's, fun, it's a funny story, but and this is uh, shows you the limits of what I'll spend, uh, what I spent on beer. We we had the beers, we had one of each beer from them, and it was very clear from our sales manager: you are not to take any of these beers out of the tasting room, right, out of our sales room. Understood. First thing I did, grabbed one out of there and hit it up my sleeve. Took it home because I, I tried the beer and I'm like, this is so good. I have to have my wife try this. She has to try this. She's gonna love it. Right, so this is the golden uh, golden ale that they have that they found in the clay. They uh, did some archaeological tests and right. found the recipe within the clay. Of that basically, it's uh, essentially a, a mead-based beer because it's with the honey. And so uh, it was amazed. I bought a case right away, one hundred and twenty-three dollars for a case. Uh, I bought a case of that of the of the Midas Touch and a case of the um, ninety-minute IPA. Um, and it was you know very expensive. Uh, before I had children, I could get away with buying, you know, two hundred fifty dollars worth of beer uh, for two cases. But uh, it was it was well worth the investment. It was fun to try it, the whole thing. Um, but I will let's do this. Let's wrap up. Uh, I want you to give some plugs for your social media, for your blog, uh, and then I'll let you get on the Bart train to go to the gala. Oh, geez. Okay, this is that self promotion I'm so bad at. Um, 
My Twitter handle is at Beerverse, B-E-E-R-V-E-R-S-E. Uh, Instagram, I believe, is the same, although I think it's The Beerverse. Uh, website is TheBeerverse.com. And that's it. Just come hop on there, take a look. If you're if, if you're anybody in the industry who's listening to this, besides, you know, give me a job. Um, you know, if you got press releases, if you got anything you want me to promote, send it over to me. I'd be happy to do it. You can get me on my contact page. Uh, my info's right there. Uh, samples. I'm always up for samples because free stuff is always good. And, you know, I, I, that's what I use my Instagram for is when I taste stuff. I kind of put tasting notes up on, on that for all the different things I try. So, you know, love, love to give you a shout out there, too. Nice. Awesome. Well, Dean, I appreciate your time before the event. Thank you for finally making this happen. Shaking hands official. Yeah, that was a good time. All right, there we go. Sports Beats Beer Podcast.